We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa a Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you can save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.
Welcome to the Rodar Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Friday, October 9th, 2015. We are on the verge of week five of the NFL season. At least we've started it, I guess, based on the fact there was a Thursday game this week. It did happen, ugly as it may have been. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig, of course. Our podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher if you could leave us a nice review. We would greatly appreciate that. Mario, let's start with the Colts-Texans dumpster fire. Actually, it wasn't that bad. For a Thursday night game, it was probably above average in terms of actual quality, even though, now realize, the box score is trash in this game. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened. There was enough good stuff where we as fantasy owners can walk away somewhat satisfied. The Colts winning this game 27-20 at Houston with their backup quarterback. I mean, Matt Hasselbeck was in the hospital with an illness overnight on Monday, and he was still good enough to put up 27 points on a Texans defense that I thought was going to be one of the elite defenses in the NFL this season. Yeah, it was actually much more serious than that. To quote Chuck Pagano, he was literally on his deathbed uh, the night before. So he uh, narrowly averted death got out of his deathbed into a standard hospital bed where he was still sick, I guess, and then got better in time uh, to beat the stupid Texans, who I guess could really use a Matt Hasselbeck as a starting quarterback these days, but uh, don't have one. Yeah, I'm glad there's a a full recovery for for Matt Hasselbeck. 18 of 29, 213 yards, two touchdown passes, both of which caught by Andre Johnson, who had six catches for 77 yards on seven targets. Both of the TDs were uh, pretty tight end-like in nature. Uh, the second one in particular, basically T.Y. Hilton set a pick on two defenders and Johnson rolled into the end zone after catching the ball at the one-yard line. So, you know, nice nice work there. One, one joke that, that came up during the XM show today that I feel like is worth repeating here is that, you know, the last time Matt Hasselbeck was a starting quarterback, Andre Johnson probably was one of the greatest receivers in the league. So in his mind, you know, it's 2008. And Andre Johnson is amazing. They were both hallucinating. He could have been. I mean, if he, if he, if he was as sick as they're saying, I mean, Matthew Hasselbeck <laughs> may have been completely hallucinating. He thought he was 27 again and played like it. Yeah, he thought he was 27 again, and Andre Johnson was in his fourth season. So, you know, that kudos. Is, I think that's actually the, the only logical explanation here. But the old man parade for the Colts included Frank Gore in this one. 22 carries. Well, Zerlin Tipton and Josh Robinson had a combined five. 98 yards on the ground for Gore and a touchdown. Four and a half yards a carry. In a season where running back play, once you get past the top five or six backs, which is you know your, your standard elite guys, AP, Bell would be ahead of him for me, Jamal Charles, Lacey, I think Arian Foster kind of pushes his way into the conversation, and I think Todd Gurley is there as well. Once you get past that top six, it's kind of just anyone's guess as to who's going to be in the 7 to 15 range, or at least in what order any given week. But the volume that Frank Gore is getting right now, even in an offense that's disappointed us, thanks in part to Hasselbeck starting the last two games, has made Frank Gore yet again somewhat underrated in terms of his fantasy value, at least based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, he's always – the worry was him with him was his age, I guess. But uh, he's always had a sort of immunity to f- time and the, f- the physics of time in the way. Like he, he had all those horrible knee injuries back at Miami. Like back when he was – back when he was like 21, people were saying, oh, Frank Gore's never going to play again. And now we're like 10 years later or whatever, and he still kind of looks like the same guy he's been for a while. So that that offense, if it keeps you know having its weaker games, threatens his threatens his fantasy value if he doesn't have a 
you know, a pie of production to take a stab at. But if it's there, it seems like he's going to take it. So uh, when all the seemingly high picks are just doing terrible this year, I think you have to be kind of kind of pleased if you got Gore in like the fifth or sixth or whatever it was that he was going in. You mentioned pie. Um, what What is your preferred pie? I mean, other than pizza, not counting as part of this pie conversation i'm not one of those cool that's people. actually what i meant i'm one of those people who says pie when i mean pizza you think in terms yeah i don't even think i call pumpkin pie something else pumpkin pie is just a it's a dead it's like a paperweight yeah if you had to make uh, a paperweight that was a pie you, you would choose pumpkin i'm actually afraid of a lot of fruits so pies uh in the traditional sense aren't on my menu often but if i had to have one it would be a pumpkin probably. okay so pumpkin or maybe like a french silk right no fruit there it's just more of like a chocolatey thing with Cheesecake some whipped cream on pie, it. is it no i think it's cake i keep i keep going toward it's, the cheese end of the spectrum here it I'm is kind of pie it's more pie like than cake like though I mean, if pumpkin pie is pie, I mean, cheesecake is just like a different color. Well, cheesecake has pie crust sometimes. Exactly. We've settled it. It's cheesecake. That's my favorite pie. This is just like the is a hot dog a sandwich argument, which I, I just I think the argument's stupid because I it's a hot dog's a hot dog. It's not a sandwich. <laughs> it's just it's just its own thing. It's, it's I don't know. I is a brat a sandwich, too. I think I think we've also settled this one. I, I didn't bring a gavel like I normally do for the uh, podcast, but this is where it would go you know emphatically well i've got a i've got a lint roller here that i think drake sent us during the nba season so we can that's our gavel sound i don't know if that even got picked up by the microphones and what sandwiches are not in five minutes and 40 seconds we've managed to take a podcast that has actually grown somewhat in popularity over its two years of existence probably progress just now threw it all away by slapping a lint roller on the table so my apologies to those of you who thought we were good people hosting a good podcast that i think we're certainly not the latter. Hot dogs the whole time. Yeah, on the Houston side of this matchup, Arian Foster, 118 yards from scrimmage, thanks to nine catches for 77 yards. Colts did a good job bottling him up on the ground, but he got 19 carries. It seems like he is healthy enough to take on his regular workload. That's why I lumped him in with those backs we talked about before. I guess Matt Forte would be part of that conversation, too based on workload. DeAndre Hopkins, even with the quarterback change in this one, Ryan Mallett taking a pretty big hit to the chest after going into the game with a chest injury and and probably being in a position to lose his job either way. Um, DeAndre Hopkins goes off again. 11 catches, 169 yards, 14 targets. He's currently on pace to go for 225 targets this season. Uh, That would be amazing. I hope he pulls it off. Uh, But yeah, he's also, he's not just a, you know, a by default productive guy due to his volume. He's he's actually awesome. Um, he's he, he's so good. He's he's kind of like what I think Justin Blackman was supposed to be. He's like the six one two fifteen type. And a lot of people looked at him like, oh, he's not too he's not fast enough to be a game breaker. Like he's not tall enough to be a game breaker. But he's got such violent hands. He just rips the ball out of the air. It's, it gets anywhere near him, and it's his. And he's he's pretty shifty after the catch too, and he's a powerful player. So I don't think Hopkins' numbers are going anywhere. The return of Foster threatened to lessen his volume a little bit, and it will a little bit, but they still can't go to anyone else in the passing game because he's just so uniquely good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a good way to look at it right now. They just don't have quality secondary options. And he, but the amazing thing with Hopkins, and I maybe have said this on the pod before, or maybe I said it on the XM show, or maybe I just said it to myself in the car, or all the above. He seems to be a quarterback-proof receiver, and there are very few of them out there. I mean, like he's in that group of guys that can just get it done regardless of the scrub throwing him passes. And, and 
Brian Hoyer actually played pretty well in this game. He got 10.1 yards per attempt against that Colts defense, but he made a critical mistake on what could have been the game-tying drive for the Texans, throwing a, a pick so ugly when they when they panned to the sidelines to look at Bill O'Brien, he just he just yelled. You could tell he was yelling, "Why would you throw that?" And that <laughs> I mean, he's he, Bill O'Brien thinking what the rest of America and in Canada too, I, su- I suppose, was thinking since Canada was probably watching this game after mourning the game one loss of the Blue Jays earlier in the day. For a smart a quarterback who's considered smart, or at least a quarterback who's labeled as intelligent as, as as far as why he plays the only yeah the only reason anyone has ever given for that guy having any kind of quarterback opportunities oh he's a reliable smart dude yeah, he's a smart guy which in in look he is yeah. smart people do make occasionally bad decisions and i would look like well also i'm stupid in real life but i would look just as stupid or even more so on a football field where it's like i am also terrified of all the fast people i mean his, his mistake was twofold he had all day to throw because the texans offensive line did a good job protecting him and after like eight seconds of not finding anyone open rather than pulling it down and run or rather than just simply you know turtle shelling it and taking a sack to make it fourth and eight or fourth and nine to at least have a chance in Colts territory to get a first down and continue the game he just threw a duck I mean he just he just floated he threw a pop-up to I think it was to Mike Adams who was playing safety for the Colts for maybe the easiest interceptions that uh, interception that Mike Adams will have in his entire career but this game was also weird because Jalen Strong had two catches they were both TDs one was on a Hail Mary going into halftime. And on that play, the Colts had four defenders within arm's reach of Jalen Strong. But yet all four of those defenders took it upon themselves to position themselves behind Jalen Strong, which is a really interesting can't way to position yourself. You. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's, uh, you can't let a him get behind you. There. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, hey, that's the, you got to be a little more clear with your direction as a coach. Like You can't let them get behind you, and at which point you get to the end zone, then you want to be in front of the receiver. But nevertheless, especially when you have four guys, you could, you could have surrounded him front, back, left, right, and ensured that he doesn't make the catch, and yet... It happened. So Jalen Strong scores twice. DeAndre Hopkins has a good game. Foster is back. I'm thoroughly enjoying this lint roller, which thankfully this is not on <laughs> you video. You can't see this, but it's a... Uh it's been adding emphasis a lot so far. Yeah, I've, I've, I've really been driving home points with it. I will use it again as a gavel before we sign off. I've pointed menacingly at Mario <laughs> at least once. I've sh- when I was talking about the Brian Hoyer pick, I was like shaking my fists with the lint roller in the, the air. On the lawn. The, gr- the great news is when I go pre-bowl later, there will, not, there will not be an ounce of lint on me because I will, over the course of this pod, make sure my shirt has no lint on it. I have to pre-bowl at a time when the uh, the black light portion of the bowling evening you know like like late at the night of the weekend they they turn the lights off and the pins Sorry, turn what are you purple doing at a bowling alley pre-bowling for the league that i'm in i'm in a bowling league oh wow see I but I, I didn't join a bowling league down the street or you know in the, in the next town over or anything like that i joined a bowling league with my parents back home like that's that's the age tier i've, I've somehow migrated into where my friends are starting to have kids i don't have kids yet so now I have to hang out with my parents and their friends because they don't, I mean, they have kids, but their kids are all grown up and gone. Like, I have to move up an age lit bracket with my friends to hang out on the weekends because my friends are busy doing stuff with their kids. Wow. Sad. No, it's, it's really cool. This is the sad progression of my life, which, again, continues to be serving as a primary host of a podcast that is just leaking followers, uh, followers and listeners 
faster than any podcast has ever leaked them before. But I think that's pretty much it for for this game. I mean, I, th- I would expect Hoyer to be the Texans starter the rest of the year. And two quarterback leagues, he's probably useful because we're in the bye week portion of the year. But stupid NFL draft talking guy in me wants to mention that it's it's crap that Bill O'Brien doesn't let Strong play more. I know those are two fluke touchdowns, but man, I. I Cecil Shorts is doing like what five and a half yards per target or something. Get, get him out. I don't know. Like Strong is big and fast, and he catches the ball. He makes amazing catches. Let him keep doing that. Yeah. So on a game where he caught both of his targets for touchdowns, including that hail mary, Keith Mumphrey, Keith Mumphrey was targeted eight times. Dude, that guy didn't do anything at Michigan State, and yet Jalen Strong's like, oh, but we got to keep Jalen Strong on the bench until he starts uh, rounding his cuts a little bit sharper. I, I really, I really, really hate, hate, hate aesthetic coaching like that. That's such crap. He's big, fast. He catches the ball. Throw it at him. So your your verdict on on Bill O'Brien? Fire him? Yeah, why not? Fire him. All right, moving on to some injury stuff here. This lint roller is the worst thing that's ever happened to this podcast. Deshaun Jackson will not play Sunday against the Falcons. He is still slowed by a hamstring injury. Pierre Garçon, of course, going to stay busy, but they're not going to have Jordan Reed either. Jordan Reed down with what I think is the fourth diagnosed concussion of his Whoa, NFL career. Concussion? I, I thought I saw four for Jordan Reed. And yeah, he's that's, a, he's, so, that's something like what it is. I just, I just assumed it was a hamstring or something stupid. No, Jeez, a concussion a for Reed. Which, he needs to, like take a break his his future is definitely up in the air which is a very unfortunate very talented player who's just had a multitude of health issues it was actually concussions that stopped me uh from pursuing a college football career so um, what what were you gonna try tryouts were you gonna try out to be a db like a corner uh more like a holder specialist I think. a holding specialist i mean I, i just figured you'd be a corner uh, way too slow. Too slow? Uh, you can rationalize my placement on the field maybe at strong safety, but then I'm like also too small, can't tackle. So uh, holding is probably where I shine most. So like if, if Kelvin Johnson you know, were catching a pass over the middle and you were lining him up to potentially you know, just drill him, like you'd hit him as hard as you could, but you'd just bounce off like in no, Tecmo Super Bowl? I would not try to tackle Kelvin Johnson. He's huge. I would, I would mostly just kind of let other people do things. I saw a pretty amazing hit in that Monday night game that I don't really remember anyone talking about it on Tuesday, but Cam Chancellor got a hit on Kelvin Johnson that just made Kelvin Johnson look like a normal receiver for a split second. You don't see that happen very that's, often. That's, un, that's not good. That's that, like that's like a sta- that's like an argument against football if you can make Calvin Johnson look like a mortal somehow. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt you know you know when Apollo Creed gets gets beat up at the beginning of Rocky was that which which Rocky movie is that they all blur together for me it's the same thing as seeing Apollo Creed lose like seeing Kelvin Johnson get hit that hard but uh he's 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 like he should be that like ancient you know sturgeon in the lake that in the lake that everyone agrees not to try to catch because it's like he's he's just so awesome don't don't tackle him it's sad that the back half of Kelvin Johnson's career will probably be ruined by the continued existence of Matthew Stafford. We can't talk about Matt Stafford right now. Let's move on to some Bills injury news here. Both running backs, LaShawn McCoy and Carlos Williams, are going to miss the game against the Titans. It means we're going to see plenty of Anthony, also Booby Dixon, uh, perhaps some Dan Boomheron and uh, the little-known Sierra Wood, as it says on the Rotowire website. What are they going to do with these carries? I assume it's just Dixon because he's the guy they 
kind of have had around the longest. They didn't. They they brought back Heron over Bryce Brown, so that should give you a pretty good idea of where Bryce Brown stands at this point. But how do you see the Bills handling the backfield against the Titans, or is it going to be the Tyrod show this week? I don't know, man. I I I don't like any of those running. I think Sierra Wood is the most talented, but there's a reason why he's been bouncing around the league and like went undrafted or whatever he's kind of been a head case in the nfl uh got good pass catching ability talented runner but they they like anthony dixon because he can block and stuff like a fullback should be able to but he's kind of a fullback and heron we saw do well with the colts last year i think he's i think he's better than dixon but i don't know what kind of stock they put into past practices logged and things like that so i'm not gonna go anywhere near those guys i i don't i don't think you can count on any particular scenario there i'm with you i I want nothing to do with booby dixon or boom heron in the week five matchup here against the titans sammy watkins officially questionable for this game he did practice on a limited basis friday even if he goes, I think you have to be careful about a limited snap count. Maybe Percy Harvin still taking away some targets. I like Charles Clay a lot. The thing I, I hated the most about week four was Tyrod Taylor throwing a long TD pass to Charles Clay in the fourth quarter of that game, which would have really helped me out on DraftKings, only to have it called back by a Richie Incognito chop block. Like the the, the biggest scumbag, no, nah, I can't even necessarily say that, but an elite scumbag in a league that has a good number of them on a play that's the dirtiest scumbag play you can pretty much make on the field dude incognito stole your money yes he he's, did he's like he like roughed you up and took your lunch money yeah that's pretty much what he did Which and that's what probably he what he would do he, in real, in life, in real life he would walk up to me beat me up for at, no reason like and take my wallet years old that man would take our lunch money both of us yeah and he'd call me a nerd and he'd call me a field fairy for playing soccer and all the things that hopefully no toilets are nearby when this happens i know he's, 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 my he's head's a, going in he's a he's a big guy i don't think i could really do much about it like I'd, I'd be kind of kind of in a bad way there Man, so at least clay had a good game otherwise though. yeah it was it was great i mean they, they i did well enough but i just to have a 50 yard td or something thereabouts taken yeah. away on a stupid dirty play like that from a dirty player who i can't well, uh, stand like that's the worst at least you didn't pivot to greg olson like i did oh well we, we we resolved on the podcast last week like charles clay for sure and i was like oh but greg olson's safer dudes yeah, well, and, and then Ted Ginn scores twice. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, Magnificent. Man. I should have challenged you on that one. I should have been like, dude, he's going to catch two passes, and they're both going to be like eight-yard touchdown. Do you see? Unbelievable. Like, I can't believe people got rewarded for using Ted Ginn in season-long and in daily. Cruel irony. Last week. That's, that's just a, that's a tough. The universe sometimes is just flat-out mean. Good news for those who want to use Alan Hearns again this week. He is probable for the game against the Bucks. The only thing, you know, the one thing about Alan Hearns, you're kind of laughing over there, a little off mic. I can't but figure him out. I can't figure him out either. He's bigger than I realized. I thought he was just kind of like a little fast guy that could get downfield, but he's not. Like he, he's a big, like not that fast guy who just still somehow makes a lot of plays downfield. Isn't that weird. odd? Yeah, he's it, not that. He didn't test well in athletic testing. He didn't have anything in college on film that indicated like, oh, this this guy will be an awesome deep threat. Obviously, I can see him outproducing that guy at Penn State or whatever his name is. Uh, he he's just like a totally middling kind of prospect who has like C grades all around and. But apparently he's just the man or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. I I had him on my bench in the stake league last week though, so that's fantastic. In a week where I had Anquan Bolden in my lineup and uh, J- Jermaine Curse, I think I had going. Dude. Great week. Yeah, good time to mess up your third receiver spot. I'm I mean, not sure even I would have gone with Jermaine Curse. 
yeah. would have I would have gone Bolden, but Philip Dorsett. Ugh. Yeah, and that was that was horrible management on my part. I I deserved every bit of the lack of production that came my way. Uh, but Alan Hearns probable for that game against the Bucks. Good spot for him. Steve Smith uh, maybe dealing with transverse process, process fractures in his back. We're not really sure. I don't know how exactly you can play with that. It's the it's the issue that Tony Romo had, I think, last season. Yeah, like quarterbacks like Bryce Petty did it at Baylor last year too. But that's like you put on a flak jacket and you cry if someone touches you. Like running at receiver, like if anyone could play through it, Steve Smith's probably that guy. He has enough hatred to fuel himself through it. I just don't know if it's like a you know a, a responsible thing to let a dude with cracked back you know things go running against the cam chancellor late in secondaries of the nfl especially when you're 11 games away or 12 games away from retiring he's 36 dude right like, don't let him play like, with don't, a broken back don't ruin the rest of your life in your final season playing through fractures in your back like that to me seems like something that you'd, you'd hopefully think through but if anyone's going to play through it steve smith eventually will be that guy in the next couple of weeks doesn't look like he's going to go in week five so it'll be the kamar aiken show at receiver for the Ravens, and hopefully, just hopefully, if if we're lucky, Mario, if we are lucky, we will see more Darren Waller. Oh, really? Are we are we going to? I want to. I okay, yeah. I didn't. I, I assumed it was going to be like Marlon Brown or something boring like that. Um, well, if, if you will it, it is no dream. Michael Campanero, also slot guy. I don't know. I'm not actually going to approach this this team at all. But um, yeah. Well, I think Campanero ended up on uh, the IR. Oh, no. So that's, that's why okay, I'm, I'm more Waller. optimistic and still no Brashad Perriman. So that, that, my friend, that is why I think we may, may see he's Darren Waller. so big and fast. He's so big and he's so fast. Just throw it at him. He's too big and fast not to get targets if he's on the field. Yeah, that's what, that's like, the thing about it. What are doing otherwise? Just throw it at him. Try it. Crockett Gilmore didn't practice Friday either, so the Ravens may be without him against the Browns as well. Marshawn Lynch will be a game-time decision for Sunday's game against the Bengals. Hopefully you didn't cut your shares of Thomas Rawls just yet. I know the the output against the Lions from Rawls wasn't great, but the volume was still there, and Fred Jackson's banged up. Yeah, and I think Rawls is a pretty good prospect too, so uh, more often than not, that scenario, I think you get a better bang for your buck. but yeah, it's it, I don't know what to make of Lynch specifically. I feel like it, we're just going to have a lot of uncomfortable uncertainty there. Should be in that top seven, top eight group of running backs when healthy, but that's become uh, something of an issue for him now with this hamstring injury. Who knows if he gets back to a hundred percent? Was it a was it the calf thing, a separate thing entirely, or has it like generalized to just like the back of his leg now? I think it's it's the the old kinetic chain problem. You know, you get some you get a strain in, in one muscle on the leg. Well, it's hard and then, to tell what even would be your hamstring or calf in a certain region of the leg. Right? I mean, behind the knee, you're saying? Yeah, like if that's what it is. Yeah, I, I if if you had if you had like a lot of tightness up high in the calf like right where the knee kind of begins that could pretty easily i mean even if it were lower in the calf eventually it could become like a hamstring got, problem those two areas must like knot up at the behind the knee right like they, there there is some connection there yeah the kinetic chain anyway hopefully it's just something different and totally manageable but that stuff sounds like it's pretty lame I would I would guess that Rotowire's injury expert Jeff Stotts would decline my request to join the podcast and explain the calf hamstring relationship. 
He just on, on the grounds of absurdity and. Uh, hey Jeff, can you weigh in on our uh, glorified puppet show with uh, your extreme expertise and dignified commentary, please? Please come use science in an area where I'm using a lint roller for a just gavel. Just ignore the underwear that's on my head and uh, give us a doctor kind of statement, please. You know, maybe if things were things were crazy this week, and maybe that's where my uh, malaise is coming from. Perhaps the malaise is entertaining to some, but I think most have stopped listening to this pod by now uh but it, look i'm looking forward to week five i'm looking forward to getting back at it and, and trying to trying to pivot away from some of the players i've been using week in and week out we're going to talk about that as we kind of get ready for the millionaire maker we're going to preview all the positions as we do each and every week hopefully oh, yeah. you guys have been doing well i mean hey, I, you've, you guys have been picking charles clay last week uh, or, or greg olson if someone misheard me they might have actually picked ted ginn even though we said probably bad idea um, if, if you misheard Mario and used Ted Ginn and it worked, good job, Mario. We had we also had the early Woodhead and Powell uh, three thousand PPR type stuff, so that's cool. Indeed. All right, so week five, it's finally here. Millionaire Maker one point two million dollars going to first place. Fantasy football just keeps getting more interesting. Go to DraftKings.com now, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, to play for free with your first deposit on DraftKings. It's promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Let's start at the quarterback position as we do each and every week. You've got Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, 7,900 and 7,800 respectively. Got a bit of a price break to get to Drew Brees going on the road against the Eagles. Peyton Manning at 7,000 against Oakland. Are you building around one of the four most expensive quarterbacks for this week? I would normally scream about how awesome of a play Aaron Rodgers is, and I kind of think he'll be pretty awesome anyway, but... That St. Louis pass rush does worry me, and uh, like that, that that Packers offensive line is not great on the edges. Rodgers really makes it look better than it is. I've seen Barclay just get driven back, and and Bakhtiari too. They get driven back quite a bit. Now you got to go against like Robert Quinn on the edge. Aaron Donald's just the best ever on the interior. Kind of worried about that, um, but yeah. So I'm probably not going to go with Rodgers, even though he's got the Lambo effect. Probably that, which normally the Lambo effect negates all other physics considerations. It's like doesn't matter. He's in Lambo. He's not going to do anything but throw touchdowns. But I'm a little scared, at least at the highest price there. So uh, I assume a lot of people are going to go after what like um, Carson Palmer. Probably like he's he hasn't been burning people too bad aside from last week. But I think I, just at a glance here. <laughs> I think my favorites are actually Sam Bradford and Philip Rivers, who are kind of in order at 6,200 for Rivers, 6,000 for Bradford. Um, I just kind of think, like, I, like I've said a couple times, I thought uh, the early panic over the Eagles' offense was probably a little misguided. And last week was a fluky game, I, I understand, but um, like, still, Bradford put up three touchdowns on 28 attempts against a Washington defense in unideal conditions and a Washington defense that has somehow been good so far, which I don't understand. Um, but anyway, at home against the Saints, the Saints have been pretty bad on defense. But Rivers is probably, like I guess, my cash game target here because only 6,200, he's at home against the Steelers. Uh, I don't know. That secondary isn't very good. I, I like Rivers in the Millionaire Maker too. I, I think that's that's the kind of tournament play you can you can use at quarterback. I mean, sixty two hundred. Yeah. That game should have plenty of points in the board. I would expect to be at least in the mid forties, if not a little higher. I mean, I, I could see both these offenses move, moving it pretty well. Because I think with that extra time to prepare, 
Michael Vick can get Antonio Brown more incorporated in the game plan. He's got the best running back in the league in Le'Veon Bell to dump it down to and to hand off to. So I, I think Pittsburgh's offense can do enough against that San Diego defense to make that game a possible shootout. So I'm with you on Rivers. I mean, Matt Ryan at 6,700. The only concern I have there, and I think ownership's going to be pretty high on him too, the issue I have is that they could get up big again, much like they did against Houston. And with that, you might just see a heavy dose of Devontae Freeman and possibly Teron Ward again. Yeah, I, I, my last week was not good, and it was largely because I, I banked on Julio saving me like he had all the previous weeks and uh, didn't happen. So I sank emphatically. But yeah, I mean, the Washington defense has been good so far, but you would think that the home home factor for Matt Ryan and also the it's got to be a lot of overachieving going on in that Washington defense, like especially in the secondary. Like their pass rush is legitimate. Uh, Preston Smith, Ryan Kerrigan, those guys are great. But the secondary is terrible, like terrible, terrible. Like something has to give in that secondary, and obviously Julio is the type to uh, give it a reason to. So I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of Kirk Cousins in this game. Like the Atlanta defense isn't that good, but uh, it'll be an interesting test of like Atlanta's defensive mediocrity versus Cousins's prolific failure tendency. I know some people get really amped up when a player goes up against his former team, but coaching going up against your former team I think is also kind of a an, an area where you might look at a team that's going to be a little more aggressive as a result of the circumstances I mean Kyle Shanahan may want to just stick it to the Redskins he may just want to run up the score on him a bit I and it's not necessarily up people, to him I bet a lot of former co uh, you know former employees of Dan Snyder happen to feel that way that's what I'm saying so like this could be the week that Julio not only bounces back, but somehow has his best game of the season, his even first, though he's had some great ones already. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, yeah I, I'm just to be clear, I am not worried about Julio. Like, I, I think he will. Pro- I think it's more likely that he violently progresses to the mean this week and makes up for last week uh, than it is that he has uh, even like a middle of the road game. Like, it just doesn't seem like it can happen, especially with Roddy White not having a place in the offense. I think. Freeman is the one you worry about regressing this week and I think he will because I've I've liked Freeman I liked him when he came out of the draft uh, last year but he's not a game breaker like I refuse to believe that this is who he is I can see him staying very steady like a Gio Bernard type maybe but not more than that so Julio's gonna get some of that six touchdowns over the last two weeks that uh, Freeman's been taking I've seen some tweets out there, and I feel like one of them is uh, Rotowire scribe Jerry Donabedian, but I've seen other people throw this out there too. Um, the idea that some of the Florida State skill position players in particular have been significantly different players pretty soon after leaving college. Carlos Williams may be an example of someone that just looks a bit different than he did during his time in college, and maybe Devontae Freeman does fit that description. I, I watched him a little bit more last week than I had in previous weeks, and he seemed to have good vision, good oh, yeah, quick decision making, but then a little more of a burst than I expected. He he's, looked a little faster than, uh, than I recall. Fast out of his stance, it's more like the the, the fifteen to forty yard range where he, where he'll get caught. Um, but yeah, he's I liked him a lot coming out because yeah, the the vision was there. He's he runs with more power than his frame would imply because he's one of those guys who just has low momentum. Like you know, like we saw Mad Bradshaw break a million tackles in the NFL, even though he was probably like two hundred or whatever. Uh, but yeah, he's he's just got that like momentum factor the low build 
center of gravity, et cetera. Very good pass catcher, obviously. It's just that he, he he's not really the type to really tr- turn a corner as much as he's the type to just kind of take what the defense gives him a chance to take. But his his first like ten games in the NFL just were crap rushing numbers, and then the last two were really good. So I think he's more in in the middle of those those two ranges rather than you know a guy who's going to really be kind of like a top ten running back. I still think Tevin Coleman's better to be clear. I think when Tevin Coleman's healthy, you're going to see it kind of be more of a Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard thing rather than you know one guy just totally dominating. And either way, I feel like Freeman's numbers the last two weeks are things that can only happen when Julio Jones has a game like last week, which I don't expect to happen again this year. Yeah, I mean, as as much as Freeman's stock is up, and I think part of the the floor being reasonably high right now is that Coleman's down, right. and this is an offense that can almost score at will. He's going to get a lot of carries in the red zone. Like that, kinda, that's what I like about him. We're kind of on the running backs now, right? Let's see. Where is he's up to sixty three hundred now? Devonte Freeman is man. What a, what a difference a couple weeks in this stupid sports league make. Where Demarco Murray's below him, and I'm like, no way am I picking him. Uh, Demarco Murray can't him. play. I don't, <laughs> I don't. Sorry, yeah, not not to go too far off topic there. But yeah. oh, this there's look. There's no there's no script here. We we have we have no plan. Like we're just. We're just talking. We're just just two guys enjoying a conversation about the millionaire maker. I'm uh, I read books and stuff. I'm, I'm lying again. Uh, I buy books, but I don't read them. Like <laughs> I, it, it's become a sad cycle. But uh, yeah, so Lavian Bell at 8,500. That's more like it. Um, maybe even should be higher than that because he's just amazing. Like with. I want. Had, do you think Michael Vick being out will somehow result in um, even more? like a more sustained catch rate for bell because he's got seven in each game so far that's he caught a a billion passes roughly last year but seven per game is still a pace that's far like last year he caught 83 or something like that um that's like a five per game kind of rate i feel like he can go like another six or seven just because vick's you know a gonna get himself in trouble with a pass rush and he's gonna need to have check downs eventually even if he's way too slow to look for them um but yeah he's not gonna he's not gonna complete passes to like marcus wheaton's of the world or even i'm not convinced he'll get anything to martavis bryant either um and we don't even know how quickly they're going to implement him into the scheme here but uh yeah 8500 i guess i'm probably not gonna go with much lavian bell just because that is a bit up there and jamal charles 700 less they're usually kind of like the same thing in any given slate two matchup proof guys who are awesome pass catchers just kind of closing the book on quarterback. I mean, Russell Wilson is 6,900, oh. but the offensive line is brutal. I just wonder if that Seahawks-Bengals matchup is such that the Cincinnati offense, especially being at home, can do enough to force Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to throw it more than they typically would. Is this actually a good spot for the Seahawks offense and for Russell Wilson in particular at that $6,900 price tag? I don't know if if uh, going against Geno Atkins is the kind of thing that you want to see out of a, a guy whose interior line is notoriously bad. Um, it, yeah, it's getting more and more like as as if Russell Wilson is truly on his own in that offense, and I'm not sure. Like he's he's great, like he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory right now, but I don't know if he's really you know superhuman enough to just rise above that. You know, there's nothing going in his favor in that setting except for playing at home. Like the offensive line is bad. He doesn't have the only good receiver they have is Tyler Lockett, and they don't let him play, and they don't design routes for him. Or Jimmy Graham's their only good receiver, sorry, and they don't they they have him block or whatever. So I don't know. It's there are certain reasons why there's reason to believe Wilson will do well, but uh, 
Yeah, I don't know that the matchup itself is much reason for excitement. So thinking in terms of some other tournament quarterbacks and just really cheap options, Nick Foles, 5,200, maybe in a situation against Green Bay on the road where he has to throw a lot. you got Mike Vick at 5,100 against the Chargers. You've got McCown at 5,100 going up against a Ravens defense that is at home but without Terrell Suggs. Brandon Whedon, 5,100 against the Patriots team that's probably going to put up 40-plus points and you know, attempts galore could be coming his way. Then you've got Bortles and Jameis Winston going up against each other in that Jags-Bucks matchup, also at 5,100. Do you like any of those cheaper options for tournaments? No, uh, but I guess we're not, that's kind of why we have to look at them, I guess. But I, if we're going with one, I feel like it's got to be McCown, like 40-plus pass attempts in his last two games. Even Josh McCown can project safely to 250 yards on 40 pass attempts, you know? Yeah, he can He can do the 6.3 YPA. Uh, but yeah, Ravens are usually a lot better at home than they are on the road. But it, so far this year, it seems like they're kind of inept uh, regardless of the location. No, I, I think I, I would agree with that statement. Let's move on to the backs. You mentioned Le'Veon Bell, 8,500 as much as you like him. Maybe not going to pay up the price to get him pretty big price difference there between bell and jamal charles the second most expensive running back at 7800 vikings among the teams on by this week so no ap as far as the top end running back options go marshawn lynch a game time decision at at 7100 can't really speculate right now as to whether or not you even want to use him just because he may see less volume than usual if he goes Forte at 7000 eddie lacy at 6700 any of those upper tier running backs interest you at those prices yeah, Charles always is interesting at under 8,000. The Bears, I mean, I feel like their defense is better than it looked in the first couple of weeks, but I also don't think it's as good as it looked against the Raiders. So I think Charles comes back. I, I, I think there's a reason to like him a lot there. But after that, I don't, I'm not going to get excited about Forte at Arrowhead. I can see the Bears offense kind of imploding in the face of that. Um, let's see. Lacey against St. Louis is pretty interesting because if I'm the Packers, even with Rodgers' background in Lambeau, I'm going to want Lacey to run at that defense more than I'm going to want Rodgers to have to run away from Robert Quinn. So maybe a lot of Lacey there, and it's one of those things where it's like since the setting is Green Bay, whatever efficiency, whatever whatever volume Rodgers does have is going to be efficient. So uh, if he's if he's throwing the ball, it's, it's uh, obviously going to be better chances of Lacey being in touchdown range in any given carry than they would be on the road so i like lacy quite a bit he's below seven thousand at 6700 that almost seems like a price that's like dictated by his kind of decreased workload while injured so he's he's supposed to be like fully ready to go now so i wouldn't be worried about that at all uh but yeah i guess i guess lacy's my favorite out of that top tier there so the, the goofy thing is i've got a lineup in front of me the only thing it's missing is a flex position i started setting this up before we started recording rivers and lacy are both in it so we're kind of in, in lockstep at least with a couple of the building blocks uh, for this week and, and moving past that top tier group of running backs latavius murray going up against the broncos at 6300 Devonta freeman at 6300 getting that matchup against washington and then you got DeMarco Murray at 6,200 home against New Orleans. Uh, Eagles fell behind pretty big again against Washington in week four. Do you think they can actually keep this game at a, at a point where Murray can finally get, you know, 18, 20 carries in a game again? I'm at least getting some tournament action with uh, Murray this week. I, I don't know what to think about that team exactly, but I do think the overall result we've seen is 
not sustainable. I think they're better than that from a personnel standpoint. Certainly from a scheming and coaching standpoint, I think they're better than that. Sixty two hundred for Murray is just cheap. I mean, that that's just cheap for him. It's a good matchup. Like the Saints have done pretty well against the run, but uh, less so against the pass. I think Bradford's going to be fine in this game. So I like chances of Murray getting a touchdown, even if they still don't get things going from a rushing average standpoint. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like this has to be the week where the Eagles finally look functional, like uh, all around on offense. So Murray at 6,200 is pretty nice in that case. Um, after that, like, I mean, same game, Ingram, 6,100. You worry less about workload with him and probably also efficiency, so maybe he's the better cash game target, but the matchup is much worse for him. Like The Eagles can stop the run pretty well, at least. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I might just pass on that range entirely and uh, drop down to, like... Four, so, not to skip uh, the names such as Jeremy Hill, Joseph Randall, but Randall I'm not going to consider at all against the Patriots. But Jason uh, Garrett hates him now, it seems like. Yeah, I don't know. I Like, I can't tell what on what basis the Jason Garrett begins to develop like any kind of uh, distaste that would actually like change his plans because it's like, why you got Christine Michael there. Like we know he's faster and bigger than Darren McFadden put him on the field. Uh, we the, also Garrett, you know, kept DeMarco Murray on the bench behind Felix Jones, etc. So it's hard to know what that guy's going to do with his personnel management at all. But in any case, 5,800 for Justin Forsett at home against the Browns might be where I look next. Um, I mean, we know he's going to get volume, especially with if Steve Smith is out. There's there's reason to believe. In fact, I think that uh, Forsett's reception total will go blaring up after catching none last week uh, following four games in a row. or Sorry, three games in a row with four receptions. So I like Forsett a lot in that range. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to find a guy with that price. Uh, going against a team as vulnerable as Cleveland's, who has that kind of workload stability. Cleveland this season giving up the fourth most fantasy points to opposing running backs uh, so far. I mean, you look at Chris Ivory in week one, 91 yards, a couple TDs. Dexter McCluster, 98 yards on the ground on the 10 carries. Dexter McCluster. The great Dexter McCluster. Latavius Murray went for 139 and a score against them danny woodhead caught a lot of passes and ran for 54 yards on eight carries on top of the 38 yards melvin gordon chipped in you know the the thing that makes me sad about the matchup last week is that i i could not will melvin gordon to have a great game i thought it was going to happen it was one of the things on the list of stuff i was just wrong about last week and at least our guy danny woodhead showed up he's still cheap too by the he way he doesn't let us down he he, he doesn't like just i can't so we really have to get him on the pod i i hope we can get him at some point such a worker i just want to get him on during the bye week or something so we can really kind of bolster the credibility of, of what we're doing here overall but moving down this list of running backs uh, cj anderson probably can't even go near him at 5300 ronnie hillman 4900 I mean, that's like just too high for me to consider gambling on ronnie hillman i don't know like if, it, if he was down like he's higher than doug martin and geo bernard and uh not that i'm excited about geo but doug martin showed some signs of life last week and he's going against jacksonville there's no way the jags blow out the bucks at at tampa i mean the jags mario in, in overtime this is what they did tj yeldon rips off a long run on the first drive of overtime Gets into Colts territory. That's awesome. Great long run. They take him out of the game because it was a 20, 25 yard run, something thereabouts. They take him out. They put in Toby Gerhardt and proceed yes, to run. You have to. They ran Toby Gerhardt for the first time 
on the opening series in overtime. Instead of calling one of three timeouts He's the veteran. to rest TJ Yeldon or call a run play or run play action where Toby Gerhardt just hurls mass at somebody trying to rip off the head of Blake Bortles. Anything, anything else would have been good. And instead, they lose two yards, they fall to second and long, Bortles misses on a couple of passes, and they punt. And it's all because they didn't use a timeout to simply run TJ Yeldon instead of Toby Gerhardt. I don't understand how an NFL head coach could get that wrong that much. Well, it takes the wisdom of an NFL head coach to see how it was actually a totally awesome idea. So just just trust them, okay? Just trust them. Just just assume that it's all going to be fine. Carlos Hyde, 4,900. has got a line that's having some issues, but could that be a sneaky tournament play just given that the interest in him is probably dwindling pretty fast? Yeah, man. I mean, it's... <laughs> I'm not picking him, so uh, that that could be a way to to separate from the herd a bit. I I'm just I'm just so sour on San Francisco everything and Giants defense uh, quietly got a little bit stronger last week when Oamagwe Oamagbe Adigazua got back from his injury. Uh, he's a good run stopper on the defensive line. Their defensive line in general, I mean, did pretty well against Buffalo. So I'm not psyched on Hyde at all. Um, but in this range, there is quite a bit of potential value, not just uh doug martin and uh the obviously implied greatness of danny woodhead but i kind of i mean this is extremely stupid because i i'm just this is me never learning a lesson that i've had fair chances to learn many times over but Legarrette blount at 4500 against dallas i mean i know it's not in new england but I still have to think Dallas gets just stomped on in this game. And it makes sense for the Patriots to not spend that much time passing with Greg Hardy back. Um, I mean, not that it's any easier to run against Dallas with Greg Hardy in there. But um, after they get, you know, their 21 nothing lead in the second quarter, that's that's got that's got to be like 30 plays at least that Blount would be in on from there. They're not going to like run the clock out with Lewis, are they? Or Bolden or something like that? I yeah, I, I saw Blunt at 4500 and thought that was kind of interesting too. I, I think that's pretty sound logic as far as him getting chances. It's a very again similar late. situation to the Jacksonville game. Like yeah. they're going to run out clock. I'm Brandon Whedon is not making this a game. No, I don't see that happening. I mean, the thing about using Blunt though is that you have a lot of options in this tier as you alluded to before who are, are really interesting. TJ Yeldon at 4400, Doug Martin Yeldon. at 40 700 todd Gurley, what forty three hundred dollars i know the ownership rates are going to be crazy high and by that i mean i suspect they'll be high i don't have any knowledge of course but forty three hundred dollars for todd Gurley, who could be one of the top three most talented backs in the nfl already going into his third nfl game is he a must play at that price, even though there's going to be a lot of entries out there who want to plug him in because he allows you to do so much more elsewhere. So in a GPP, he's far from a must play. He might even be like a slightly discouraged one, but not not for me. I mean, it, I feel like you start to do you start to fade more aggressively when the price is higher than forty three hundred. I mean, that's that's even if you save that forty three hundred, get someone else in there at a comparable or lesser price who does better than Gurley like the leftover money isn't enough to like really act on in any way so you're just changing him for the sake of variation rather than like actually you know channeling your the efficiency of your investments in any way so at 4300 I don't see much upside in fading because like granted there there is a, a bunch of other like GPP type considerations in this range like we got both Washington guys Matt Jones and Alfred Morris at 4000 uh, I'm not doing anything with that but 
it's it's I can't argue against the possibility of wanting one of them having like two touchdowns or something like that. Um, Thomas Rawls, obviously, if Lynch is out, Spiller last week got going. Um, it's it's a tougher matchup against the Eagles, but uh, I mean, he had we're, we know he's not there to run the ball. He's there to play receiver in the backfield, and he had five catches for ninety nine yards and a touchdown against Dallas. It looks like he's back. Um, he was if you it's hard to recall this, but there was a time when he was fully healthy. I don't know if this is like three years ago or whatever already, but when he's healthy, Spiller is really good with a football. Like it is hard to tackle that guy, and he's faster than pretty much everybody. So thirty eight hundred for him, PPR scoring definitely in play. Um, more tournament than cash game, obviously. But uh, yeah, so forty three hundred. Like Gurley is the guy in this range who has cash game reliability and the same tournament upside. So even even in tournament settings, I'm probably going to have him more often than not. If you want to go completely off the deep end, Antonio Andrews, who seems to be the starting running back for the Titans, is at 3,500. I don't really advocate going that was, route, but yeah, he's there. I, I saw like I saw the way they used Mariota in Tennessee, and I was like, oh, Ken Wisenhunt's growing up. And then like Antonio, and, like let's get some four eight speed on the field. Let's let's make it really suck and just base it on like preseason stats or something. I don't know. Bishop Sankey's not very good, but I'm sorry. Antonio Andrews should not be playing. Chris Thompson in a game that the Washington offense may be playing catch up in. I mean he's he's the third down back. He's the pass catching he back. Is. As much as the Morris versus Matt Jones timeshare job battle whatever you want to call it that continues to kind of confound us and maybe the couple lost fumbles jones had in weeks two and three finally did cost him some touches i i think jay gruden's very whimsical in terms of how he's going to handle those two backs but chris thompson's role seems to be a lot more established at this point and this just seems like a spot where you know five plus catches would be a reasonable floor for him another florida state guy here um yeah chris thompson he's always been fast always been efficient and back at florida state he was a playmaker before Devonte freeman got on the field had a broken back that uh kind of paved the way for him to go in as late in the draft as he did and go under the radar the past couple of years but he's really good with the football again like he's he's, he's like five seven but fast so uh, he's not the kind of guy you really feel like chasing on a third down when you just you know covered for a long time so he's he's interesting. Thirty three hundred. I might have him in a flex spot in a GPP setting, although obviously not in cash games. I've got a thousand dollars left over in my current version of my millionaire maker lineup, so something somewhere is going to get an upgrade. Let's move on to the receivers. Julio Jones leading the way once again at ninety two hundred, and for good reason. Odell Beckham at an even nine thousand. Antonio Brown coming off a disappointing game. Last Thursday at eighty seven hundred, I think the price has to be down in the seven thousand, like seventy five hundred range. I think at this point for me to actually consider Antonio Brown, given the variety of other options here, I don't think Demarius Thomas's neck injury is really going to be a problem. He's eighty one hundred against the Raiders. Maybe get some limited interest in AJ Green because of the matchup against Seattle. He's at seventy seven hundred. Randall Cobb seems like the shoulder still bothering him. He's at seventy five. What about Megatron at 7,400? Is that Arizona defense maybe one that Detroit could actually move the ball against a bit better? I don't know, man. I, I feel like Megatron is so good that a reasonable coaching staff would have gotten better returns out of him from this point, regardless of the other circumstances, the unideal circumstances they've been dealing with. But I, I don't know. I just don't trust that team. I, I don't trust that quarterback. I don't trust its coaches. I I'm 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 bugged by anything Detroit right now. So 
I may I cannot argue against Calvin Johnson as like a tournament play, but when at least in cash considerations, you got six hundred dollars less for Larry Fitzgerald. Um, that's that's a that's a pick that I'm going to every time rather than seventy four hundred for Calvin. But I don't know. It could happen. I mean, if they just wised up started following like the todd haley rule with antonio brown like just throw it at him like just that's the strategy just start with the point of throw it at him figure everything else out later that's what you should do with someone like calvin johnson but they don't do it so i don't i don't know i can't get in i mean king julian julian edelman just seven thousand. i mean he still seems a little underpriced given that you get a point for every reception on DraftKings. kings I'm, I'm pretty interested in him but my my concern i always have with the patriots is if i'm using gronk and Deion Lewis, how many Patriots do you really want to load up in there? I mean, there's only so many points to go around, but then some weeks the Patriots outscore everybody. Yeah, I feel like there's plenty of reason to think they're just going to be like a top three offense all year and be borderline matchup proof. I think the Dallas defense has some really, really promising parts, but the way Tom Brady's playing right now, I don't think that I'm worried about any shortage of stats to go around in that offense. I think it makes total sense to go still with Edelman and Gronk and just kind of ride them until that insanely high target volume thins out a bit. I'm, I'm interested by Amari Cooper at the $6,600 price tag, but I'm a little concerned that you know Derek Carr and the Oakland offense will be simply overwhelmed by son of bums pass rush. Like I just I feel like the Broncos defense could just break the spirit of the Raiders offense. Like it could just be a demoralizing matchup for them because Denver's defense is just that good. Yeah, I I like Amari Cooper a lot, a lot as a prospect, but I I don't think that the Denver defense has just been awesome so far. I don't really see the point in risking it. Like I'd rather rather than sixty six hundred for Cooper if I'm going with a person with a similar appeal of which is to say like just really high target volume in this range. I'd go Jordan Matthews at sixty four hundred. Um, but yeah, even especially since I think Bradford is going to do pretty well, I would definitely prefer Matthews at 6,400 because I think he's shown the ability to produce even when Bradford doesn't. How about Mike Evans at 6,100 this week against the Jags? Like That seems really I love, nice. I love Evans' talent, and I, I I feel like Dirk Cater, their offensive coordinator, will eventually get things going there, but Jameis has been a mess, and... It seems like last week, you know, Vincent Jackson's big game tells me that people are not being fooled by Mike Evans's low stats. They're putting their coverage resources toward him uh, and saying, go ahead, throw it to the 32-year-old receiver instead. So it, it didn't work that well for the Panthers last week, but I'm still like, there's no, I think Mike Evans is basically like a top five receiver. So if I'm a defense, I'm going all at him and yeah, I'm, I'm saying, go ahead and see what you can do with Vincent Jackson. So I'm I'm not gonna go after Mike Evans very much mainly though because Jeremy Macklin's at six thousand. He's had two big games in a row. I still don't think that Chicago secondary has any talent at all. He's he's really tempting to me at six thousand for a guy who has nineteen catches in the last two games, one hundred and forty plus yards in each instance. Yeah, I'm with you on Macklin. I'm surprised the price hasn't really gone up on him yet. I was thinking about this earlier. Like, I, I would love making the prices for daily sites. Like, I'm, I wouldn't. I'm such a that goofball. Suck. <laughs> I, I would. I would just. I'd thoroughly enjoy it. I feel like the prices don't fluctuate as much for football week to week as they do baseball from series to series with the matchups and the park factors that get weighed in. But I would. I would love to adjust these prices uh, and, and be that guy. I don't know if that's something. I'll ever get a chance to do. Uh, Brandon Cooks down at 5,900. His stock has fallen considerably through the first four games of this season. I would imagine that the interest in him is going to be down a little bit. Do you like him at that price? 
I don't know, man. It's I like three weeks ago, I would have like jumped out of my chair, ran into the wall, freaking out about that price. But uh, I can't get excited about fifty nine hundred for Cooks because I'm not convinced that he's that good at this point. I mean, he should get better. Part of it is I think I don't think the Saints know at all what they're doing with their offensive scheme. The whole we'll just replace Jimmy Graham with CJ Spiller and some guy thing shows that they weren't really thinking things through. But Cooks is not going to be, you know, a, a proper a proper like workhorse wide receiver one type. You have to be creative with your your scheming, your motions. You have to use them like Todd Haley does Antonio Brown. Right now, I not to go like totally off the uh, trajectory of the prices, but William or Willie Sneed seems like the Saints receiver to target, I think, because he's it's gonna be instead of fifty nine hundred, he will be three thousand. So that's the minimum. Um probably go with him over Cooks, but as far as GPP, you know, differentiating your lineup strategy goes, yeah, now is definitely the time to go after Cooks because it's hard to imagine he'll see a much worse cornerback rotation than the Eagles one. Looking at, at the rest of this range, the kind of five thousand dollar and an up range. I mean, you got Allen Robinson at fifty five hundred. You got Pierre Garcon at fifty three hundred, where there could be plenty of volume. Golden Tate, much like Kelvin Johnson, has left us disappointed this year. Fifty two hundred, though, is a pretty nice price break there. So a lot of different options to consider if you want to go down the Allen Hearns path. He's at forty five hundred. Travis Benjamin at forty five hundred. This is a guy that's averaging twenty point two fantasy points per game. And look, the price master is not buying it. Forty five hundred is is just crazy cheap for a guy who's been as productive as travis benjamin has to this point i'm just boycotting boycotting browns anything until they put uh the golden child in at quarterback but if if i'm objective travis benjamin is pretty tempting at that price uh obviously the baltimore pass defense hasn't been very good and benjamin has been i i'm surprised by this but he's done it like a month now so i guess it's time to take him seriously Nelson Aguilar, 4,200. Maybe some GPP appeal there. Lettered Hankerson at 4,000. Another guy that probably wants to get a little revenge. Do we think Taven Austin is for real? Yeah, I, I kind of just glazed over him, but he's he's been getting more targets than I would have expected. They, they're finding different ways to get the ball in his hands. Is he finally the player people thought he'd be well, as no. a rookie? Yeah, that, that was a pretty high pick, eighth overall. I don't think he'll ever reach that kind of height. But he, it's not like he's five foot four or something. It doesn't make any sense that why like guys like Antonio Brown can make an impact, why Austin at like five eight and a half or whatever, at blazing speed that he has and the, the, the rare ability to run with the football, that they can't find some schematic way to you know emphasize his strengths. And it seemed maybe the last two weeks of some progress on that front, like maybe Brian Schottenheimer getting out of town finally allowed someone to notice a redeeming quality in Taven Austin's skill set. 11 catches the last two weeks, two touchdowns against the Cardinals. I mean, when the guy gets the ball, he does things, but it's it's been a matter of committing to actually create touches for him to this point. Definitely like a GPP only kind of thing, but we, this is the Packers they're going against. They're going to need to score points. On a related note, Brian Quick, just 3,200. I mean, there's a lot of risk there because he's uh, just coming off an injury a couple weeks ago, but a guy that I think when healthy brings a dimension to that Rams offense they don't typically have otherwise. I can't remember us talking about this, and, and it, uh, but it was it was seeing, what's his name, Stevie Johnson on the list that made me recall, but uh, kind of as a corollary to our Philip Rivers enthusiasm, Keenan Allen at 7,200 is kind of uh, perhaps the cash game receiver for me. 
uh cv johnson didn't practice yesterday that being thursday so even if he plays this week i know antonio gates is coming back but um i don't know i, I feel like that feel like that's a little bit of a bump for allen if uh, johnson's out um but yeah as, as we were mentioning earlier in the glorious uh, baltimore passing game we've got kamar aiken at 3800 probably gonna have to deal with dreadful efficiency from him but the targets might be there if steve smith is out eight catches for 55 yards i mean it's it's we're at thir- we're at sub four thousand. it's had, profitable it's like t- 13 and a half points he had five catches for 89 against oakland then a goose egg the next week then five catches for 77 and touchdown i don't know it's, he, he was heavily targeted after steve smith left that game that well, was the yeah, guy flacco kept going if to Gilmore so. is messed up and steve smith is messed up it's like what are they going to do but throw it to him and darren know? waller and darren waller it has to darren waller has to be involved uh, yeah kamar aiken definitely one to throw out there i mentioned brian quick before as a discounted option what about cole beasley at 3100 uh, uh, with the cowboys likely to be uh, down double digits at some point early in this game perhaps as soon as the first quarter but i mean like brandon whedon if he throws it 35 plus times he can only throw it to terrence williams so much so cole right. beasley and, and jason witten both should stand to see pretty good volume I need to be more objective about Cole Beasley and stop evaluating him as a prospect rather than a you know point per reception <laughs> scoring system option. Which he's got six catches for sixty two against the Saints. And I don't know. I just I wouldn't be surprised if this guy never scores another touchdown in the NFL. I think he's really bad, and it's hard for me to pick a player who I just think is not good against, especially against. A, I don't think the Patriots are going to let Dallas get that much garbage time stats. So. Um, but yeah, with Lance Dunbar out, there are even more targets available for Cole Beasley. So I, it, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing if he had something like eight catches for, you know, like 70 yards or something like that. Moving on to the tight end position, Gronk 7,500. I've got him this week. I'm just going to pay up for him because I think he can save the money at quarterback with someone like Rivers. That kind of makes up the difference. But if you're not paying for Gronk, who do you like as that next option? Dude, Eifert. Eifert, yeah. forty six hundred. Yeah, I don't think I don't think. I mean, I know Cam Chancellor's back, but I don't think safeties can cover that guy. And I don't think I don't think the Bengals will have as much reason to throw to their receivers, obviously, um, with those cornerbacks in play. So I like Eifert a lot, forty six hundred. Um, what is uh, what's wrong with Charles Clay right now? Uh, I don't think anything's actually wrong. I mean, limited at practice. Okay, so I mean, he's fine. Clay Clay is in play again this week, especially if Watkins is out again um i don't know that and carlos williams being out might even be another subtle boost to the potential target volume but uh yeah i mean with with jordan reed banged up with um aaron eric ebron's banged up he might not play so i think i'm i think i'll settle on um you're not going gary barnage at 3800 against that the Ravens? actually is tempting i mean gary barnage has been doing really well the last couple of weeks and getting heavily targeted uh, he's up to 3,800 now. Um, I'll probably pass on him this week, or maybe like a GPP variation. But otherwise, like I, I really like Richard Rodgers' place in the Packers offense. I feel like he's a top 10 type fantasy tight end, um, at least with Jordy Nelson out and Devontae Adams messed up. Because he's he's a he's a big dude with a mean stiff arm, and they don't have a big target on that passing in that receiver rotation like. Ty Montgomery's the biggest one at six foot two twenty or something like that. So, um, if you believe in the thinking that you know a bigger target equals better viability in the red zone, which I think is pretty indisputable, I think you have to like at twenty nine hundred and at home Aaron Rodgers tight end. 
uh, like Richard Rogers. So he, he's someone that I might go with. Uh, if I make two cash game lineups, it'll probably he'll be in probably one of them, even at twenty nine hundred. But uh, yeah, Gronk's going to be in the other or second tight end as flex at twenty nine hundred could open up some things elsewhere too. A L- little I risky. The, I thought the minimum was like three thousand. That's surprising. Yeah. So uh, otherwise, like the other GPP one is on the other side in that game. Jared Cook, maybe I don't know. He's he's always a huge pain and disappoints me he all just, the time. I, you, I just needed him to be decent last week because Gronk was on by in the stake league and he couldn't even do all that. You needed for me. was a little bit and he just didn't do it. All uh, I needed was like sixty yards. I, I would have been okay with sixty yards. He didn't even get that. Yeah, I mean Green Bay. I don't know. It's it, they're going against the Packers. They're going to have to throw. He is big and fast, even though he sucks at everything else. Defense and special teams. Where do you want to go this week? For me, I, the Broncos. I mentioned them earlier. Is just a great defense with a great matchup. Even though it's on the road against Oakland, I think they can give Derek Carr fits in this one. But who else do you like? Do you like the Bills going on the road against Mariota? Do you like the Cardinals up against Matthew Stafford? Maybe the Seahawks against Andy Dalton, although it's on the road. And they haven't given up a touchdown, I think, since Cam Chancellor came back, if I'm not mistaken. So they've looked pretty good. Do you like the Patriots up against Brandon Whedon? Like, what are you doing with that defense spot this week? It's not. There's no like slam dunk favorite in here for me. Um let's see i feel like that's what the broncos are though like that's the one that i just i'm gonna gravitate towards at least for now i don't know if i'll reconsider something a little off the wall like uh, you know jacksonville against Jameis. i don't think i could do that like that, that to me would be like a tournament play and even then you might just end up with five points yeah i uh, man i yeah i guess it's I guess it's probably the Broncos. I would have said the Cardinals, but I don't know if I care enough to spend another 200 on it. Chiefs against Bears? Home at Arrowhead? That is pretty tempting because, uh, yeah, especially if Jay is gimpy. I mean, Justin Houston doesn't sleep. Arrowhead's not a place you want to play in general. So, yeah, the Chiefs are actually quite tempting. That might be, like, your your favorite, uh, you know, like, cash game, vague bargain type defense. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there are many of them out there this week though so i'll probably have quite a few playing shares against, the Broncos. Uh, playing against rogers at lambo has a way of deflating your uh, seasonal dst point per game average so yeah they're, they're probably deflated a bit from that game yeah that's a that's a good point we're still dealing with four game samples here for most teams that's going to wrap things up for us. Thank you for listening to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out ROTOWIRE for free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod. You can check out all the tools, including the lineup optimizer. Definitely a good one as you get ready for the Millionaire Maker and the other DraftKings contests this week. Once again, for Mario Puig, I'm Derek Van Riper, the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back with you on Monday. Your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace. 
The Helpful Place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.